Spend your summer mornings with us. News, information, conversation, controversy, and fun. The Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Brought to you by WVU Medicine. Welcome back. Hello. Your dreams were your ticket. Come on in. Welcome back. Bob and I are ready for you. Or as ready as we possibly can be, I guess. It's 8.09, 9 after the hour here. Watchdog Morning Show, Wednesday edition. Hour number deuce as we uh, continue along. The big gig this morning, 53 degrees. Wheeling, Ohio County Airport, 52 at the Highlands. We're 50, uh, 49, 49 degrees in Elm Grove. And 52 here at the Robinson Auto Group Studios, downtown Wheeling. In the heart of the Ohio Valley, it is Bridge Party Day in the upper Ohio Valley. as that new Wellsburg Brilliant Bridge Opens officially for traffic tomorrow, but has the ribbon cutting and party day today uh, up <coughs> up on and around the bridge. Uh, continue to talk about that. Um, should U.S. Senators have a dress code on the Senate floor? You can text me or let me know what you think about that. We'll talk about that. The high price of gas in L.A., $6 a gallon now. It's not a national trend. It's just, just L.A. for some reason, $6 a gallon. And the case of the groping Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who was... Uh, uh, enjoying the um, the lower regions of her uh, date's uh, anatomy while he was enjoying the upper regions of hers in a public theater. Not he went high, she went low. He went low. That's exactly, exactly, exactly right. And in a minute or two, we'll talk with Stephen Adams, my good friend from the Ogden newspaper chain. We'll be talking about um, the... Uh, uh, WVU reorganization plan. Stephen has an interesting take on this, and I want you to get it. He wrote the piece. It was in the paper yesterday, um, and I want want you to hear what he has to say about that. He also, along with uh, McCabe and others, had a chance to meet with E. Gordon Gee yesterday. So we'll see what Gee had to tell them. That's coming up. And then Amelia Nicely from West Virginia Watch looks at some possible non-academic cuts. We were talking about academic cuts, cuts in culture, language and culture program, uh, creative writing program, and so on. There is There are some non um uh, non-academic cuts that are coming, and Amelia Nicely will have some of that coming up uh, a little bit later on for us here on the Watchdog Morning Show. You can join me on the text line, 304-214-1600, 304-214-1600, or you can use the Frio Stack auction service phone line, 304-232-8255. Bob, I don't know if, I, I don't think you were with me at the time. It's been about 10 years ago when we first started doing um, weekly coverage live from the legislature. We go down at least once a week, usually two or three days a week, and broadcast from the legislature during the special session. Um, and we would broadcast from the Rotunda area and had our equipment set up there. And uh, we would do the show and interview people and so on. Yeah, I always put on a – I didn't wear shorts and a T-shirt. I usually had an open, unbuttoned shirt, you know, and uh, maybe throw a jacket on, maybe not. Uh, and then at one point, uh, it was my friend, Hoppy Kirchhoff, who said, you know, um, you're really supposed to wear a coat and tie here. What? Yeah. You, you. And when I tried to go into the chambers, the house chamber at one point, mm, you cannot enter without a coat and tie. Uh, there's a dress code. And I thought, part of me thought, well, how dumb is that? And then part of me thought, well, no, you know what? This is doing the people's business. You ought to look good. You should. I think that is a sign of the times changing, Howard. But when I worked in this building, when it was Wheeling National, uh, the policy was you could take your coat off inside. But if you went outside, 
you put your you put a coat on where you were seeing the, the yeah, absolutely seeing people seeing yes, customers yes, seeing put a coat on. So. I bring this up because uh, on the Senate floor now they are loosening the dress code. It used to be if you were a U.S. senator, you had to wear coat and tie on the Senate floor. If you're going to be on the floor, wear coat and tie. And now they've loosened that. And I don't know if it's because of, and most people think it is because of John Fetterman from Pennsylvania who wears his hoodies and shorts. And a lot of people are going, ah, you know, this is not, this isn't the right way to do things. You, you got to have a certain amount of decorum there. And I get that Fetterman just wants to see he's a man of the people. Um, and others probably do too. You know, want to show they're, they're of the people. We don't have to have a coat and tie and, you know, three-quarter cuffs and all that kind of stuff. But there's something to me, There, there is a... There's a formality to being part of one of the 100 most august senators. You know, it's the, it's the most august body in our government. And, you know, we think of the White House. But to me, when you when you take a second to think, the Capitol, to me, is even more powerful than, than the White House. It, it all starts right there. And I think you should wear a jacket on the floor. I do. Now, the tie days, I think, are over, Howard. You know, because I think people sharp uh, dressing sharp t today don't necessarily have to wear a tie. The open collar with the coat. But, yeah, you got to nip that in the bud right now because, man, where are you going to go? What What's next? Like you said, T-shirts and flip-flops? Well, that's it. I, I forget who it was. Susan Collins yesterday does not like this. Uh, and she said, well, she said, I think I'll wear a bikini tomorrow. You know, I mean, where does it go? Where do you go? Some of the Lauren Boebert might want to wear less than a bikini, and that way she could grope easier. At oh, least her date, no. her date ain't going to have much on. Yeah, right. But um, I, I, I'm a believer in, 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 in certain places at certain times of dress code. Look, as you can attest, Bob, for a lot of my career, even here at the radio station, what did I always wear? Wore coat tie. Wore coat and tie. I mean, behind, the, you know, nobody could see me. It was long before we had video cameras and so on. But I would always wear a coat and tie. I just felt it was the right thing to do. But uh, clearly, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm much more informal. But there are there are times and places where it should be. And I, I'm among those who think that the U.S. Senate on the floor of the Senate. Now it's interesting. Fetterman yesterday um, did show up with his hoodie and shorts, and he said, "Well, I'm." You know, I may not do it all the time, but uh, you know, it's, I just, I just wanted to do it today. He would, he did not go into the floor though. He stood in the doorway to vote. Even he knew, even he knew, it, this really isn't right. And you're talking about the senator from Pennsylvania had severe, uh, what a stroke? Howard? Yeah, mental. It, yes, exactly, a stroke. Yeah. And then depression came after the stroke, so he's ha having health issues, and he even thought better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've thought those things. I mean, he. I don't know that this was done for him. Many people think it was, and so he is personally getting a lot of flack for this. Um, but even he, wearing his shorts and wearing his hoodie, his traditional, you know, common man's garb yesterday, and he wore it to the Senate. But when it came time to vote, he just voted from the doorway. Did not walk into the Senate. At least that's the story that I hear. So, uh, Joe Manchin. <laughs> Joe Manchin is says he's absolutely not in favor of this. There was a line he used, which was kind of a weird line. He goes, um, "Well, I'm not going to comply." What well, nobody's telling you, you got to wear shorts, Joe. <laughs> it's just you know. But Manchin was very adamant that he thinks this. I, I think it's a bad idea too. Certain time, certain place. 
dress dress appropriately. There's golf courses in the middle of summertime. You can't wear shorts. Yeah, I don't have course. It's just, it's just there's a time and a place for everything, and I get to being the everyman. But sometimes, but you're not. You know, when you're when you're acting in your capacity as an elected U.S. senator, you're not the everyman. You're not the everyman. So look 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 the part. All right. Um, Stephen Adams always looks the part when he's uh, on the floor of the uh, of the House or when he's uh, covering things of the legislature. We're going to talk to him next about the uh, latest at WVU and uh, coming up a little bit later on. Amelia Nicely is going to join us from the Western Watch to talk about uh, some some of the things that she's been reporting on about WVU. So that's straight ahead here on the Watchdog Morning Show. We're at eight sixteen. You want a hospital rising up to the challenges of today's healthcare demands? WVU Medicine Wheeling Hospital delivers the right care close to home, developing new and exclusive services, recruiting top surgeons, featuring the highest level of orthopedic surgery, improving healing, rehab time, and outcomes, offering innovative heart care through our WVU Heart and Vascular Institute, establishing outstanding urology services with a highly experienced urologist and staff, providing comprehensive world-class women's health services, and equipping the WVU Cancer Institute at Wheeling Hospital with cutting-edge science for the highest standard of care. We embody the mountaineer spirit, building upon strong traditions, moving forward with compassion. WVU Medicine Wheeling Hospital, delivering the right care, at the right place, at the right time. A serious injury from an accident can be just the start of your worries. What if you cannot return to work? How do you take care of your family if you're disabled? At Gellner Law Offices, we represent seriously injured people and understand their problem. We know how to get you fair compensation. We will work hard to make sure you get the money you deserve for your losses. Don't go it alone. If you're hurt in an accident, call us at 304-242-2900 or visit us at gellnerlaw.com. We'd like to help. Be sure to check out the Touchdown City Show for award-winning WVU football talk. Tune in every week as Anthony Lewis, Derek Bailey, Michael Sussman, and WVU legend Avon Coburn deliver expert insight about everything gold and blue and give their reaction to the biggest games from around the Big 12. Don't miss a second of the Touchdown City Show. Broadcasting from the Ohio Valley, talking about the Ohio Valley. We're live and local. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Brought to you by WVU Medicine. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling groovy. I feel it groovy, baby. I feel it groovy, baby. It's Bridge Day here in the Upper Ohio Valley. The Wellsburg Brilliant Bridge will officially open for traffic tomorrow. They open for a party today. Bridge Day gets underway today with a ribbon cutting, and and I, and, and they're going to have a car show, and I think food there, and corn dogs, and even our own Pine Room podcast boys who do the afternoon show here. Uh, many days a week on the Watchdog Radio Network. They're going to be uh, serving up their Pine Room Lager 
At the Crooked Dock. At the Crooked Dock. So that, and that's a great restaurant, too. Grab yourself something to eat while you're up there. So it's uh, it's Bridge Day today here in the Upper Ohio Valley. 53 at the airport, 52 at the Highlands, 49 in my backyard in Elm Grove, and 52 degrees here at the Robinson Auto Group Studios, downtown Wheeling in the heart of the Ohio Valley. Uh, becoming sunny, uh, high, maybe, mid, not maybe, high, mid-70s during the day today. Going to be a really nice day today. Quick check of the Frio Stack Auction Service text line. We were talking about the Lauren Boebert story when she was seen groping her date at a event in Denver. Um, Howard, are you not going to look at Lauren Boebert? You're lying because your wife might be listening. Did I say I wasn't? Correct me. Did I did I say I wasn't going to look? You never said that, Howard. I believe I actually said I've seen the video. I believe I said I've seen the video. Uh, Frio Stack Auction Service text line 304-214-1600. I don't care what Congress wears. I would just like to see them do something. Well, well it sounds like she was. That's a, no. <laughs> so that's that's an argument to be made there. All right, uh, eight uh, nineteen here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Stephen Addis with us from the Ogden newspaper chain. Stephen, good morning, sir. Good morning, Howard. Thanks for having me on. You always get. I mean, you you're required to. Plus, you always dress spiffy when you're on the floor of the legislature, right? Yeah, I always try to. Uh, Outside of legislative sessions where the rules are a little bit more lenient, once you're in session, there are rules of decorum and there are rules about what men and women are supposed to wear on the floors. And there's sometimes even some unspoken rules. You know, I worked for the state senate for, for four years, and we had a, door, a head doorkeeper who passed away several years ago by the name of Tony Gallo. And uh, I've watched him chase people, regular people, wearing jeans. In the gallery, it has to like get him calm down, Tony. Calm down. I know you're all about all about cracking the whip. You've been here forever, but they're they're people and they don't know. Like chill. And then I've seen like uh, WCHS TV's Kenny Bass, who almost patently refuses to go to the chambers anymore because at one point he got chastised for not wearing a tie and uh, threw a fit and uh, never came back. So I know uh, when I first started doing some regular broadcasts from down there a decade ago or so. Uh, and I would wear uh, just, you know, open collared shirt. And, you know, I, I think I looked reasonably good. I didn't wear shorts on a T-shirt. Um, but at one point it was uh, going to go into the house chambers. And Hoppy Kirchival grabbed me. Hoppy said, uh, listen, you need a tie? I said, no, I don't need a tie. I don't want a tie. He, he said, no, no, you need a tie. <laughs> so I, was, I, I learned my lesson. And uh and from that point forward, I was a little more. I, I will tell you a quick. I will tell you a quick funny story though, just to test uh, exactly what type of ties would uh, would be allowed. A bunch of us one time wore bolo ties, <laughs> and we weren't kicked out because we were technically following the rules. But there was about the four of us that wore different types of uh, bolo ties, and I know one delegate, uh, former delegate Mick Bates. You know, got away with wearing an ascot. <laughs> if it's a tie-like thing, it works, I guess. All right, Stephen, um, this WVU story is is still a big one, and we've been following it for the last what month or so. After E. Gordon Gee and the administration laid out their first proposed cuts, and then there were protests, and there were rallies, and there were complaints, and there were no confidence votes, and at the Board of Governors meetings, there were some eruptions there and so on. Lots of sturm and drog. But in the end, uh, it sounds, not sounds as if, in the end, the Board of Governors really didn't feel that all of that complaining made a difference to them, I guess, right? 
Yeah, I think there is a perception, and I hate to kind of phrase it this way, but that they can kind of get away with it a little bit. And, of course, the Board of Governors of WVU, like most uh, Board of Governors of public universities in the state, they're appointed by the governor. Uh, there's ways to remove them, but, uh, they're, uh, of course, they get advice and consent of the consent uh, of the Senate for any of those appointments. But uh, they're pretty well insulated. Uh, so you can have your votes of no confidence, and you can protest, and you can do all that. And there were protests even in within the meeting itself. I covered the meeting Friday. But, I mean, there really is sort of a uh, idea that they're, they're kind of insulated to some extent. And to some, even with the vote of no confidence in Gordon Gee that the faculty did through the university uh, uh, campus-wide faculty meeting that they had here a couple weeks ago, the Board of Governors is basically saying, look, the Gee and the administration are only doing what we told them to do. And, you know, outside of making some changes and going through the appeals process, uh, they did exactly what we wanted to do. So I, I, I think there is a sense that uh, amongst, for lack of a better phrase, the elites, that they they can kind of do this and they think they can weather this. You, had, you wrote a column that was in the Intel and your other papers uh, this week, though, that I thought was interesting. You laid the uh, no-confidence vote, you laid the protests and the rallies and so on uh, and the complaints, which were significant. I don't want to imply that they weren't. But you laid the numbers of people actively involved in that over top of the actual numbers of faculty, actual numbers of students. And if you look at it that way, there were a lot of very loud, vocal, aggressive people, but there were a lot of people who didn't seem to get as involved as we might think they were going to do. I think so. And just to be clear, I don't think that's even because they support what's going on. I've talked to a number of faculty who uh, have wanted to stay behind the scenes and not go on the record, who uh, may have differing opinions on some of the programs, but ultimately they're just kind of scared for themselves because – uh, if you read my story today, where uh, we did a sit down with Gordon Gee, uh, our papers did, our editors did, and I got to ask some questions too. And this isn't over, uh, not really. Uh, they they did the heavy lifting, the the big program discontinuances. That's what they took care of Friday, but there's still going to be potential for more faculty uh, to be uh, let go uh, and other programs to be cut and student services and things of that nature. Even some administration cuts are probably still coming, uh, though they declined to talk about specifically what those might be. So there's a lot of uncertainty out there, and I think, yeah, you have some very vocal people, uh, and you might even have some out there that are supportive of those that don't feel the need to speak up, but I think you actually have a decent out there just kind of laying low because they don't want to rock a boat and don't want to be next on the chopping block. In the next half hour, we're going to talk to Amelia nicely from Western Watch about um, some of the non-academic things that may be uh, coming up for the chopping block. But in your conversations, you and your editor's conversation with E. Gordon Gee yesterday, did he? Did you get any sense that he is disturbed, distressed, concerned about the number of people who you know voted no confidence in him, the number of people who were protesting, or does he simply accept that as? De rigueur as a you know just a part of doing the job, which is a difficult job. Sure, I mean he's a human being who wants to be who wants to have a situation where uh, you know nearly a thousand people is like more than seven hundred, but I mean that's a big crowd of of people to cast a vote saying that we do not approve 
of what you're doing, and we do not have faith in your leadership anymore. They understand that. They, they understand the gravity of what they're doing. They certainly have sympathy and empathy for the faculty that are going to probably find out between now and uh, the beginning of October uh, whether they'll be gone in the spring. Uh, there's a lot of sympathy there and a lot of empathy, and Dee actually talked about one of his biggest regrets uh, in our meeting, talking about how he didn't really prepare the campus for change because, in his mind, he, he's been talking about change and doing things differently now since he came back in 2014. And and even having a mandate from the Board of Governors, particularly in 2016, to do this academic transformation, because that's how long ago this all started. And nobody really took it seriously until they finally accelerated it after COVID. And he kind of regrets that he didn't do a better job laying the groundwork uh a long time ago for making making this happen. He is, of course, um, already, quote, on his way out, uh, not because of this, but because he had already agreed to a, what, a two-year contract extension, and then that's it, and he said, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'll ret- retire after that from the presidency. So, in a sense, he has the luxury of doing these things without having to worry for any long-term consequence. I don't mean that negatively. I just mean the reality is a couple years, get this implemented, and he's done. Yeah, I think that's it for sure. I and, and and not that he's taking it lightly or thinking he could do whatever he wants, but I, I I do think he really is kind of banking on what has been done just in the last several months, and particularly last week, and what they're continuing to do. He really thinks that this is saving the university long term, and I know that all the eyes of the nation are on this, particularly higher education. Uh, policy wonks and officials watching this to see uh, how this is going to work out, if it's going to hurt the university negatively in the short term or perhaps help the university in the long term. He thinks it's going to help the university in the long term. I'm not a policy education specialist. I have no means to gauge whether it will be. I, I, I think in the short term, they've got a lot of damage control they got to do. But he sees this as a mission in saving the university and innovating, and he thinks other universities are going to be following suit, probably not that far behind WVU. So uh, I think he feels that in the long term, he'll be vindicated in all of this. I, I suspect other universities are going to watch this closely to see how the university, how Guy in particular, the university as an institution, weathers the storm of complaints and moves forward, uh, which will give some guidance, I think, to other universities. Stephen, I am, every time I've talked about this on the radio, I admit, I am still, I can't get my head around, is this whole reorganization, transformation process Money-driven or philosophy-driven? Is it a, a, a we, we're looking at $45 million, maybe as much as $75 million shortfall, if you will. Is that what we're really dealing with? Or is this a change in philosophy of what the university is supposed to be? That's such a good question because, you know, they really stressed over the last two weeks that this is not being done because, or specifically, there is no financial emergency, which I was a little taken aback by because I I thought the whole point was was to fill these holes. And when I go back and look at past statements, 
They're right. They haven't actually called this a budget emergency. Some, you know, uh, it's easy to jump to that. Uh, and of course, this could grow to seventy-five million under. You know, if they didn't do uh, something that's according to their own estimates by twenty twenty-eight. But they say it's not because of the money ultimately. So it has to be a change in philosophy. And if it's a change in philosophy. Like I said, the eyes of national higher education are on this. You know, former Gazette Mail education reporter uh, Ryan Quinn, who now writes for Inside Higher Ed, was actually uh, covering things last week. So, I mean, this is getting a lot of eyeballs on it. And it, it, it's just going to be interesting to see, you know, how this works out and whether this philosophy is something that's going to be emulated or if this sets back the university even further. You've already had a decade of enrollment cuts. Uh, enrollment declines, and will that continue? We shall see. It looks like their fall semester is down a little bit, though. Apparently, it's above what they budgeted. I was going to say, I, I, the fall semester is down. I, I'm not willing to jump to the conclusion that that's a direct result of these changes, but the reality is fall semester enrollment is down. So um, I, there's, a, there's a long, long road to hoe here uh, to bring the university back to where it needs to be. At least that's the way I look at it. Whether you agree, disagree, there, there, there are problems that now have to be rectified somehow, some way. Image problems, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Uh, I, I really think that they're going to have to do a lot of groundwork to restore some trust with their faculty, which, again, as I said, some of them are kind of like, you know, already looking for other jobs, not necessarily because they want to leave or not even necessarily because they disagree, but just doing it in preparation in case they find out that they're next. So they're going to have to do a lot of work uh, to, to really kind of deal with the morale, particularly amongst their faculty and staff, and that's going to take some time. You are not uh, primarily a higher education reporter. You're more of a political reporter, so let me ask the political part of this. Why doesn't the legislature get more involved in trying to deal with this financial problem? I know that the Center on Budget and Policy says that if they had been smarter along the way, the budget deficit wouldn't be as bad, but why, reaching this point now, why has there been no talk at all from the legislature, so I, I didn't hear any, maybe I'm missing it, of, of helping out, of some kind of a of financial readjustment? There's just, the legislature seems to be hand off on this. Well, in all honesty, the legislature, particularly when you're talking about your finance chairs, and in this case, I think the one that gets the attention is uh, State Senator Eric Torr. Republican out of Putnam County, they really want to be more hands-off with higher ed. They want higher ed to basically be able to handle things on their own. And, of course, they implemented a performance-based funding formula, which uh, gives the, the universities a certain amount of their state funding through a formula process that looks at graduation rates and degree programs and numbers of degrees and all sorts of things like that based on that, uh, Tennessee's uh, similar program. They, they, they want to create, in essence, a kind of a free market and let the best colleges uh, in the state get more state money and the ones that are having problems get less state money. Uh, so I think a lot of this, uh, even what WBU's doing, I think is uh, kind of 
in anticipation of what other universities in the state, public colleges and universities, are going to have to probably do down the road as well, because if not, they're going to see their state funding decrease uh, even below what it is right now, which has come back up over the last few years, but that may not mean anything. Yep. All right, Stephen, I appreciate it. always enjoy reading your columns and, of course, talking to you here on the radio. And I thought uh, the piece yesterday in particular was interesting about where's the public concern about WVU. So I want to have a chance to chat about that. Appreciate it. We will do it again in the near future. Thanks very much, my friend. Thanks, Howard. Stephen Adams, Ogden Newspaper Reporter, this morning here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Now, we're not done with the WVU story yet. Amelia nicely writes for the uh, fairly new online uh, news service, West Virginia Watch. And one of the things she's been writing about this week are other cuts that could be coming. We've talked about academic cuts, cuts in the language and the culture and the uh, creative writing program and, and, and those kinds of things, and faculty cuts and so on. But there could be other cuts, non-academic that are being considered, and we'll talk about what some of those are with Amelia coming up next on the Watchdog Morning Show. But first, Taylor's here with Ohio Valley Headlines. Good Wednesday morning, everyone. Here's a look at your 7 News headlines on this September the 20th. History is about to be made in the Ohio Valley. Governor Jim Justice will be cutting the ribbon on the Wellsburg Bridge today, officially marking its completion. Everyone on both sides of the river have been saying that having another bridge connecting West Virginia and Ohio will help with travel, business, and so much more. We spoke to one of the gas stations in Brilliant to hear about their excitement. You can hear the full story on WTRF.com. And with the grand opening of the historic Wellsburg Bridge just hours away, officials are just as excited as we are, but they want to remind everyone of the designated parking areas as well as ramped up security. With so many events going on today, the walk, run, car show, vendors, and entertainment, the Brook County Sheriff's Department wants to make sure it's an enjoyable and safe day for residents. And once again, the ribbon cutting for the Wellsburg Bridge is today at noon, with festivities continuing the rest of the day. The bridge will be open for drivers tomorrow morning. And some continuing coverage, 45-year-old Hardy Carol Lloyd confessed to interfering with the process of justice and law yesterday. Court documents say that Lloyd admitted to making online threats to jurors and witnesses involved in the trial of Robert Bowers, the Pittsburgh Tree of Life Synagogue mass shooting. As part of his court settlement, Lloyd said that he purposely chose the jury and government witnesses in the Bowers trial as the targets of his offense due to the actual Jewish religion of the witnesses and the Bowers victims. If the agreement is accepted by the court, Lloyd will be sentenced to 78 months in prison. And meanwhile, an Ohio man has confessed to sex crimes right before his trial began. Nathan Holy Cross from North Lewisburg was about to stand trial for soliciting a 14-year-old girl for sex when he suddenly admitted to all four charges facing him. Last year, Holy Cross came to Belmont County expecting to meet a teen, but was met instead by undercover police officers who had posed online as the girl. His sentencing is set for October 16th. That was a look at your headlines. Have a wonderful Wednesday. I'm Tater Long, working for you. Need a new suit? Looking for a good book? has become a streaky series to say the least. Hey everybody, I'm Tony Caridi. That story and more coming up on today's Mountaineer Report brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. Hello and welcome to The Kroger Show. At Kroger, everyone wins when it comes to saving big. Because when you order online through the Kroger app, 
you get the same great prices, deals, and rewards on pickup or delivery that you do in-store with no hidden fees or markups. Best of all, you'll know when items in your cart have a coupon, so you never miss a deal. So whether you're a delivery lover, picker-upper, or you shop in-store, you'll always save big at Kroger. Kroger, fresh for everyone. At Kroger, we know the minute a tomato is picked, the fresh timer starts. The sooner we get our produce to you, the fresher it is. That's why we've completely overhauled our process to shorten the time from harvest to home, giving you more time to enjoy your tasty tomatoes, strawberries, and salads. So whether you're shopping in-store, picking up, or prefer delivery, we're committed to bringing you the freshest produce possible. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What do you say we spend some time today talking about West Virginia's opponent, Texas Tech, that's coming into town on Saturday? This has been a really interesting or perhaps unique series that these two teams have played since West Virginia joined the Big 12. Just for the record, there was one meeting before they became conference mates. That was way back in 1938. West Virginia beat the Red Raiders 7-6 in a game played in El Paso, Texas. But since then, West Virginia is 5-6. and six against Texas Tech. What makes it interesting is that West Virginia, after losing the first two Big 12 games against the Red Raiders, then won five in a row and since has lost four straight games. Yes, they've been interesting contest. Back in 2019, it was 38-17, a loss to the Red Raiders in Morgantown. So you would think revenge was on the line the next year, but West Virginia goes to Lubbock, gets beat in a close game with a late fumble, 34-27. Then you go, okay, revenge the next year. They come to Morgantown. West Virginia loses. Very tight game, 23-20. Then last year, West Virginia got absolutely blown away by a final score of 48-10. In that game, turnovers were absolutely fatal for West Virginia. Quarterback JT Daniels throwing three interceptions, and that was a big part of that game. Can West Virginia snap the streak on Saturday? We'll find out together. Kickoff is set for 3.30. Reminder, Neil Brown Show tomorrow night at Kegler's begins at 6 p.m. That is today's Mountaineer Report. It's brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. I'm Tony Caridi on the Mountaineer Sports Network from Learfield. When deciding where to dine in the Ohio Valley, think first of the Highlands. With a full array of fast food choices for everyone in the family, or drop in at the Olive Garden, Cheddar's, Bubba's Burgers, Bob Evans, Fusion, or Panera Bread. Whatever your family's in the mood for, you can find it just off I-70 at the top of the hill. The Highlands, dining, shopping, entertainment, and lodging. Hi, I'm Derek Army, head coach of the Wheeling Nailers. What is Nailers hockey? It's hard-hitting action that's affordable for everyone. It's giveaways and brand new food and beverage options. It's thinking outside the box on both penalties and promotions. And it turns game time into the best time. That's Nailers Hockey. Experience it for yourself. Get your tickets now at wheelingnailers.com or call 304-234-GOAL. Teachers' desks are clean, chalk is fresh, and the blackboard is ready. It's back to school time. And we're ready with you on the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe.
bridge is built and ready to be opened uh, officially tomorrow. Uh, Governor Justice and Baby Dog will be uh, driving across the all-new Wellsburg Brilliant Bridge in the northern panhandle. But today is Bridge Party Day up on the bridge. They're going to have, uh, I guess, tours of the bridge or something. They're going to have food and fun and car shows and all kinds of stuff uh, going on up uh, up at the bridge today. My friend Mr. McCabe, uh, newspaper editor extraordinaire, uh, wrote an editorial today. I think probably since I've been saying, why in the world do we need a party for something like this? Uh, John says that there's an easy, uh, this is in the editorial page today of the Intel, there's an easy argument that this is just a bridge. So what's the cause for celebration? But for many, this span will improve their quality of life, making it easier to access the places they need to travel. It will take time to understand what impact it will have on Wellsburg and Follinsby if traffic diverts away from those towns. But for now, let's celebrate the project being done. The very, words the words of Mr. McCabe. Very good, John McCabe. That, uh, that was really nice. I think uh, I think he's just getting at me like he always likes to do because I said I don't know why we're having a party for a bridge. 53 at the airport, 52 at the Highlands, uh, 49 at my backyard in Elm Grove and 52 degrees here at the Robinson Auto Group Studios downtown Wheeling in the heart of the Ohio Valley. Speaking of the bridge, by the way, uh, Jimmy Riston, the uh, uh, transportation guy, will be on with Hoppy today on Statewide Talk Line coming up at 10 o'clock talking about... The bridge. The bridge, absolutely. And I will be on with Hoppy today in the 11 o'clock hour talking about... We're talking about the bridge too, Howard? No, not the bridge. I'll be talking about WVU and all the reorganization efforts. And I'll gather some info for that as I talk to Amelia nicely right now from West Virginia Watch. Amelia, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you today? Good. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Always appreciate reading your uh, your stuff. You do a, a great job. And uh, West Virginia Watch is a fairly new uh, online service available to uh, people in West Virginia. And uh, I love these online sort of nonprofit organizations that – try really hard to focus on the issues, not just the daily events of the news, but to focus on the issues. And I know that's what West Virginia Watch does and what you do, too. You've been looking at this uh, WVU story for a while now. Uh, I I found an interesting uh, piece you wrote this week uh, talking about some other change that could be coming. We've talked about the academic changes. We talked about faculty being cut. We've talked about programs being cut. We've had protests and no confidence votes, and we've had rallies and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and now that is sort of in process. But there is still more to come, and it's in maybe the non-academic side of things. Is that right? Yes. The university has been reviewing what they call academic support programs. And I won't read the whole list, but um, some of the highlights are the library system, Honors College, WVU Press, and the Office of Veteran Affairs and the LGBTQ Plus Center, and then several more that support students in various ways. And they've been looking at those programs to see, just like they did with the academic majors, to see if there's any way they can cut some costs, make up for that financial deficit. Now, there's been no firm announcement of any of these programs being cut or anything specific, but your sense is that they're probably going to target some of these? I mean, is that is that the, the feeling you're yes. getting as you talk to people? Yes, and this was brought up, I, I think I first heard it at a faculty senate meeting, but I got this list by going to the university and asking for it because I had never seen a concrete list of what they were reviewing. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, I didn't realize all of this was under review. So um, we, I was told yesterday by WVU Communications that 
we should expect some type of announcement today at 11 o'clock. They are having a campus conversation. It's geared towards students and faculty who want to get an update on the academic transformation. Now, I will say some of these programs have received their letters, including the library, and have shared those on Twitter, and they do indicate cuts are happening. Um, I don't want to, I didn't verify those yet with the university, but that is floating around social media already today, but we'll have a more concrete answer today at 11. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Amelia, and I might well be. Uh, the library already has had a, a relatively significant cut in funding even before this, right? Yes, they had, um, they've already reduced their staffing hours. And I believe they've had a 30% cut to their budget so far this year. And the big thing is that they've been prohibited from buying any new materials, including new books, because of budget issues. I have been trying my best, and I'm, I, I, just, I, I don't expect you to have an answer for me, but <laughs> I, I've been trying my best to figure out whether this whole process, the academic side, now perhaps the support, non-academic side, how much of this is driven by money? We know there's the supposed the $45 million shortfall that could increase to $75 million. I get all of that. How much of it is, is financially driven? And to what extent is this philosophically driven? Is there a philosophical change in the way the university is being run? I mean, I, I, I think you get what I'm at. If you just yeah. want to save money, all right, you look at a line item and you say, well, we can cut that by 4% or 2%. But is this a redirection of philosophy of the university? Well, I don't know that I can answer that from my position. And first, let me say that as a reporter and someone who works as an investigative reporter, one of the most challenging things of covering this is that it has happened at such an accelerated timeline. Yes. So you start stories and things have already changed before you can even get the story done. So um, there's still more to look into, right? But I think what I would say in response to that, maybe not necessarily philosophical, but they did hire this RPK group to um, help them deal with this budget crisis. And if you Google RPK group, they are suggesting cutting programs across the country. And I think the philosophical shift, I don't want to speak to politics, even though that's part of this, it seems. Um, for me, it's more that it seems to be the shift is really dr like doubling down on majors that make money. And that is certainly not every degree at a university, right? We have plenty of very important jobs like teaching that don't make a lot of money. So I think that's going to be something to watch as we move forward with this. You know, the philosophy part of it, an example in my mind is they made some major cuts in the world language and culture programs. And yeah. one of the comments that I believe Gordon Gee made, might have been Rob Alsop, but somebody made in this conversation was that, well, most of the students who take languages take it because they're required to. If they weren't required to, then those programs wouldn't be needed. But my thought is, and again, I'm not asking you, I know you're, you can't offer opinions the way I can, but <laughs> my thought is that they're taking the languages because the university decided it's important for their graduates to be well-rounded and to have more of a cultural uh, international background. That's why you're required to take the language. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably why they're, that's probably why the classes are filled, but there's a reason yeah. for that. And I, I can speak to that personally as someone who is a West Virginia native and went to a very small school that only offered Spanish. When I went to college, I was so excited to take French. That was not offered to me as a 
a student in West Virginia, and I would say a lot of West Virginia high school students are in that situation, right? So I, I think, yeah, there's certainly a philosophical question here about what is the role of college, and I was always under the impression that part of it was to expose our students and certainly our students in West Virginia to other things once they reach that level. As you point out, the timeline on this has been really accelerated and that makes it sometimes hard to stop and think a bigger picture sort of stuff. Right now it's, you know, looking at cuts, seven people as opposed to six people, those kinds of things. But at some point, are you hearing people, again, I'm not asking for you for your opinion, but are you hearing people who are beginning to question the issue of why are we doing this? I'm using the word philosophically. You may have a different phrase for it, but are people asking those questions? Is this more than just yeah. money? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I will say I've been reporting for 10 years. This is the issue that I have gotten the most emails, phone calls, and Twitter DMs about in my career and a lot of them are very valid questions from concerned uh, community members employees of the university and people who work in higher ed that are questioning um, not only the deficit, but the timeline and what is driving this uh, so you're you're uh, telling me that you've heard that uh, today we will hear possibly about more of these non-academic support service cuts some of those yeah. details could come out today is that right Yes, today at 11. Good. And, and what else are you working on? Are you working on other aspects of this? <laughs> yes, I am. Um, I don't want to scoop myself, but um, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I think right now I do have those big and hopefully good investigation stories in, in the future. But right now, my focus is really trying to uplift the stories of people who are affected. We can't minimize that WVU is a major employer in the state and certainly for that part of the state. And so I think we have to figure out. Um, how to tell those stories and how this is affecting the community. And I think for me, one thing that I would like to highlight is, is last week on September 15th is when, as you know, the Board of Governors signed off on mm-hmm. eliminating major jobs. Something that was said in that meeting was that students who are on tuition waivers don't serve the needs of the state. I, yeah, to talk, to, talk to me about that and explain that. to I, I read a bit about that, and I'm not sure I fully understood what they were trying to say. Well, me either, and that's why I want to look into it. <laughs> I mean, I think... Tuition waivers and scholarships are different things, but certainly we can't um, forget that we are one of the poorest states in the country. And so I think that sends an interesting message to students that getting your college paid for doesn't serve our needs. And so maybe that's not what they meant and it came out wrong, but that's something I want to look into because that, I think, like I said, sends an interesting message to students who going to school on some type of assistance may be the only way they get to go to college. Well, we'll uh, be looking forward to seeing what you find and what you report. Uh, we'll follow that at uh, wvwatch.com. Good stuff. Uh, you enjoying the new uh, the new site there, the Western Watch? You, you like working for those folks? Yes. Yes, it's been great. We've had such a warm reception. Our stories are doing great, and we've had so many tips come in. And I think, you know, people are just excited to see coverage on the issues that they care about, and we're trying to provide that. I think there's a real need for it. Not that we have not had good coverage of a lot of stuff here in the state, but there's yeah. a there's a real need for going beyond the daily headline and going in-depth into some of the issues here, which is what your website does, and some others now yeah. that are gathering up in the state as well. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that's that's really needed 
quite frankly, with the legislature we have, I think it's really needed we have some some clearer oversight and investigation. So we'll be mm-hmm. watching for what you have to say. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining Thank me you. this morning. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, always good to talk with you. All right, we'll talk again sometime soon, soon I am sure. Thanks a lot. Amelia Nicely is uh, one of the writers for West Virginia Watch. She had originally written for West Virginia Spotlight, which was the first of these online news services, nonprofit services here in the Upper Ohio Valley, not Upper Ohio Valley, in the state of West Virginia. Uh, And then she had moved over to public radio, where there was some controversy she got involved in. uh, And now she's with West Virginia Watch. Really good reporter. She digs into stuff. She's got passion. Um, But she also is... She's... She's much more careful to not offer opinions than I am. So, and I get that. I get that. She is, she is a reporter. So check it out at wvwatch.com. Mr. Slider, do I have to do a break or not do a break? Let's get a quick one in. It's time for a quickie. Most of us are faced with uncertainty every day. Your job, your finances, sporting events, schooling for your children, and so much more. With so much uncertainty surrounding you, there's one auto dealership that you can be certain about, and that's Doan Ford. You can be certain that you always get a great deal and the best service afterwards. Being in business for over 50 years has given Doan Ford the reputation of being a strong, reliable dealership. Be certain. Choose Doan Ford. Online at DoanFord.com. Now at Menard, save big money in your next project with 11% off everything. Mohawk Perfect Seal Laminate Flooring is waterproof, durable, and easy to install, making it the perfect choice for active lifestyles. Mohawk Statements Laminate Flooring is $2.99 per square foot after 11% rebate. Get 11% off everything now at Menards. Good through September 24th, savings are mail-in rebate. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Save big money at What's up, Ohio Valley? Voted number one Mexican restaurant, El Gran Patron, located at 142 Lafayette Avenue. Open daily Monday through Friday, 11 a.m., Saturday, Sunday, 11.30 a.m. Daily specials, entertainment, Tuesday through Saturday. Check out our Facebook page, El Gran Patron, 304-810-4478. Stop in and see us after home games. We'll be open late. Specials provided with a John Marshall ID. Go Monarchs! Live and local. With 10,000 watts of total power on WKKX and WVLY. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Ah, bridge over the River Kwai. Very good. Clever bridge bump. Off the Frio Stack Auction Service text line. Come on, Howard. You worked in higher ed. You know how fat the academic side of the house is. Professors work 6 to 15 hours a week and receive a full salary of benefits, and then they whine and cry like little babies when anything small doesn't go their way. This isn't in the least political. It's business. A, I disagree with your premise. But B, it is not business. That's the problem. Higher education is not. You have to look at money matters. I don't quarrel with that. It's not business. And it's not politics, but there's a philosophy of education that I think is at, at issue here at WVU, so um, it's worth talking about. I will talk more about WVU with Hoppy Kirchwell coming up at 11.06 this morning. Meantime, statewide uh, talk line begins at 10.06, and the legislative watchdogs are coming up next. Tomorrow on our show, 
Rosemary Ketchum will be with us. She is announcing officially her run for mayor tonight at the Center Market at 6 o'clock, and we will talk with her about that mayoral run tomorrow morning here on the Watchdog Morning Show. In the meantime, stick around. Lots of good conversation yet to go here on the Watchdog Morning Show, the Watchdog Radio Network. Bob and I back tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. I think I'm going to skip the uh, bridge celebration, Howard. I've been a little depressed. I just don't uh, trust myself. Afraid to jump? Just might, yes. (laughs) 